Thank you for joining us today for the ministry of the word at Foundation Church. We pray that what you hear today will be as much of a blessing for you as it was for the people of our congregation. Remain standing as I read for you some verses from Psalm 116. My sermon today is called Precious in Life and in Death. I'm going to read verses 12 through 17 of Psalm 116. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaiden. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, as I was listening to the words, the last words of David recorded in 2 Samuel, he said, my mouth was used to speak the words of God. And Lord, today we are reminded that when we come to this part of the service and we are preaching the word, Lord, that it is our heart's greatest desire, Lord, that you would speak to your people. And I pray, Lord God, that my lips today would be used to speak your word to your people. Lord, apply it to our lives and change us through it. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, and then you may be seated. There's nothing that makes life so precious as almost losing it. You know what I mean? This can be true of your own life for those who you love deeply. We, we all know these moments can be absolute life-changing experiences and many times it's a good thing that they are. I've known lots of people who narrowly escape a desperate situation physically, and they come out on the other side very different than before the event. How many people know somebody like that? You know, something happened, something traumatic, something where they thought they might die or they came face to face with death. I'm sure most of you know more than one of these stories. Even though we all know that we're going to die someday, there seems to be some strange denial that we all live in. Like, and then when something happens, we're like, oh, wait a minute, I could die. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, like we live all of our life, everybody dies, everybody dies. But we live as though it's really not going to happen. In fact, it can never happen. We're shocked. I can't believe it. They died. You're like, well, that's what happens to everybody. We walk around in a blissful ignorance of this denial until something happens to shake us up. Any number of things can happen to awake us from our stupor and stupidity and give us some true perspective. The diagnosis of a potentially deadly illness is really good for this. A heart attack that doesn't actually kill you, a car accident, or 
even an armed robbery. I had some cousins who, they were at their house. It was my Aunt Kay and uh, her son Stevie, and they were at home one day, and someone knocked on the front door, and they had guns, and they, was, they had a home invasion. They blindfolded them, they tied them up, and all day long they made them believe they were going to kill them because they thought they had a bunch of money in the house, which they actually didn't have. After something like that happens to you, you get to thinking about, what have I done with my life? I could have just died today. I could have been on the news as a statistic. Right? Psalm 116 is about this kind of thing. It's about what happens when something shocks us out of the nonsense that we live in that thinks that we're going to just live on and we're not going to die and nothing can hurt us and every day tomorrow's just going to be another great day for me. We don't know what tomorrow is going to be, but there seems to be something that happens inside of us when we are like smacked. You know, you ever, you ever see, you know, whap, wake up, man. Psalm 116 is about this. Perhaps we can learn from it today and maybe even consider making some changes in our life without first needing a triple bypass surgery or a cancer diagnosis or a semi-truck to almost run us over before we snap out of our petty worries and induce some more meaningful realities. It's the first thing that happens, Brother Chris, is as soon as we are face-to-face with something like that, in that moment, all of a sudden, all that dumb stuff, the stuff that we squabble with our husband or wife over, the stuff that we argue about uh, in you know church committees or the dumb stuff of life, it all this, that that is that doesn't even exist. It's like steam; it just dissipates. You get some horrible news, you get something happen, and nobody cares about the dumb stuff, right? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just quit caring about the dumb stuff right now? This is why there's so much more for us and our future lives to be learned in the house of mourning than in the house of the Dance Party USA. There's a lot to learn. There are times to mourn and there are times to dance, but we need our feet planted firmly on the rock of our salvation in both our times of dancing and our times of mourning. And this too is what Psalm 116 has to offer us. Psalm 116 uh, does not have an author ascribed to it or even suggested. It is the fourth song in the Halil, the praise, the sacred group of Psalms recited from memory by the children of Israel for thousands of years at their most important feasts. Verse 1 begins like this, I love the Lord. Um, There's a song that I've been listening to pretty much uh, over and over and over again that begins with those words. You guys ever heard the song, uh, The Goodness of God, C.C. Wine and Sing It? I love you, Lord. Because your mercy never fails me. You guys know that song? Right? I love the Lord. There's, there's not another psalm that begins like that. I love the Lord. What's going on here? There's an intimacy happening here. The psalmist is not starting off, 
God, you are mighty and great and transcendent, the magnificent one of the heavens, he that flies upon the feet of, of, the, 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 you know, of the wind and all this stuff. No, he's like, I love the Lord. Seems like stripping away all of the veneer and getting right down to where they are. And that's what a near-death experience can do. It strips away the frivolity of our lives and gets us right down to the core of what really matters. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my supplication. There's nothing garners more love from a fellow traveler here in this world than to save someone's life. It often creates lifelong bonds between people. More often we hear how in the time of trouble people, what do they do? What do they do? They call on God, right? And they thank God if their prayers get answered. It seems to be one thing nearly every human being has in common. When we come face to face with death, we cry out, Oh God! God, help me! Even people that don't believe in God are doing this. I think it's funny I know people who are very, very blatant in their fact that they don't believe in God. You put them in the right situation and you will hear them call on God. Oh God! Oh God! Oh God! Please! Oh God! Please save me! Oh God! Right? When we come face to face with death, we cry out. And why do we do this? For some it may be a kind of a Hail Mary of sorts because there's nothing else they can do. But for us, everybody say for me, people of the faith, it's because we believe that he's really there and that he really can help us. What an appropriate opening to a psalm written to mark such a time of a life that's being saved, of new perspective, shocking the mind of someone, but I love the Lord. So why does he love the Lord? He said, I love the Lord because he answered my prayer. And so we know now why, because it says why. Because he answered my prayer, my fervent pleadings, he answered my supplications. Once again, and I point this out occasionally, and I'll point it out again because it's blatantly in our face. He's talking about supplications or fervent prayer, as it talks about in James chapter 5. The effectual, fervent, what in the world is a fervent prayer? I'll tell you what a fervent prayer is. Oh God! Lord, help me! Lord, I need you right now! I mean, how many of you ever talk to God like that? Maybe, maybe you never do. Let me tell you when you will. When you're about, you think you're about to die. When you think, when the tornado's coming, and you see it coming through the front yard, and you see your little babies, and you're like, ah! You don't go, Lord of the heavenlies. No, 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 no. You just cry out to God, the fervency of it all. And you know, God invites us to love him, not just on special occasions, not just in times of emergency, but to have a fervency for him that lasts all the time. You see, he has a good reason to praise the Lord. It's also a good reason to keep on praying. When 
when we understand this, we pray and God hears our prayer. We love the Lord, but it does what? It should do in us. It should remind us that we should keep on praying even when we're not already on the verge of dying. It's the reason for building a whole life on going to God at all times and seasons. He doesn't just hear us in these emergencies or in the times of extreme difficulty. He's listening to us all the time. The Bible tells us this over and over and over again. And so what do people of God do? They call on God all the time. And, and I know a few people who do this, and, and you know, I don't know everybody's heart, so I don't know why everybody does what they do. I'm a little bit of a naive person, but I don't care. I, I think I'm going to stick with some of my naivety, okay? And I really like it sometimes when I'm talking to somebody and I begin to share something important in my life, something that I have, you know, really want some help with, and they stop. You know what they say, Rachel? They stop. They go, can we pray about this right now? You might go, well, they're just trying to, I don't know what they're trying, I don't care what they're trying to do. I like it. If you want to pray for me, if you want to stop in the middle of a conversation and just go, you know, we need to talk to God about this. The Bible says we should be a people of prayer. In fact, Jesus said what our churches and what our gatherings should be called, we should not be a place of merchandise. We should not be a place of uh, sacrifice. He said, my house shall be called a house of of prayer. We could use more of this in our lives. Love the Lord. He is listening for your prayers. Why? Why is God listening for your prayers? So he can answer them. God wants to answer your prayer. Now, you may not believe that he does. And you know what the Bible says about that? If you don't believe that he is, he's not going to. And if you fake it, and all the while in your heart you don't believe it, and you go through the motions, what does it say in James chapter 1? Let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Why? Because God, for whatever reason, has put it in the scheme of spiritual workings that we must believe what we are asking God to give us, and we need to look for it with expectations if we plan on receiving it. Verse 2. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore, okay, he's saying this, what's he going to do? Because God listened to me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray more or less. I'm going to pray more. I love the Lord. He heard my supplication. He heard my prayer. So what am I going to do? I'm going to pray more. More Is this very complicating? Is this, is this hard? Because he hath inclined his ear to me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. Do you see? He puts it in the context. I almost died. My life was almost over. I almost got ran over by a truck. I almost, my life was almost ended in an instant when the gunman shot and he just missed me. The bullet grazed my head and I lived. What am I going to do? I am going to call on the Lord as long as I live. Even in the statement that he's making here, he is still remembering that he almost died. I think what we do, and it's part of our weird denial, is that we do, is we like to forget that we almost died as fast as we can 
And God is saying, maybe you should remember it for a little bit longer because as long as you remember that you're temporary and that you're mortal and that you're weak and that you can't save yourself and that your life is a gift from me, maybe as long as you remember that, maybe you're going to reach out to me in prayer. You see, this is the application. Since he hears me when I prayed in the time of tremendous and tumultuous need, he hears me all the time. Everybody say, God hears me all the time. We need to remember God's words, which tells us that we have not because we... You might say, Pastor Mark, I think you say this every other Sunday. We know this stuff. Really? Then why aren't you praying? Why aren't you asking God? Instead of being sad that you don't have what you have, instead of being depressed about what you don't have, instead of uh, looking around at other, what other people have and you can't even be happy for them, why don't you ask God? You have not because you ask not. And even though He knows what we have need of before we ask Him, nevertheless, He urges us to ask. Why does He do this? Why does God do it? Honestly, when I read this, I think, I don't even like this. Why, if God knows what I need, what do I need to ask him for? Because ultimately what God wants is us to love and to trust him. And the way that you build love and trust with another person is when you need something and they help you with it. That's why God has put us together in the body of Christ, not to be islands, not to be alone. He creates us that, to, that we need one another. Was, Brother Tim Yarbrough called me uh, yesterday. He did not know it was my birthday. And he called to talk to me. And he said, you know, Brother Mark, he said, the church, sometimes the church that I'm a part of can be a little bit too Presbyterian. He said, they told me that the mark of a true church were the three marks. Have you guys heard these? They're in a book somewhere, you know, they write it down. The three marks of a church are. And he said, you know, he said, I raised my hand. I was in that meeting. I said, you know, I take exception with the Presbyterian definition of the true church. I said, well, what did you say? He goes, well, Jesus told us what a true church was. He said, you shall know them. Because they had the three marks of a true church. Is that what he said? He said, no, you shall know them because they love one another. That's what he said, a true church. He goes, I lost the vote, you know, and, and we moved on. He goes, but that's all right. He goes, that's just the way it works when you got committees running things. He goes, I thought it was simple enough. I mean, didn't Jesus say we would know? I mean, because that's what we want to know. What is a real church? What is a real group of people when they love each other? And he said, and you know what I know? He said, he said, I know that the people of your church love each other. He said, that's all I need to know. He said, I spent a few weeks there at your home and with you. And he said, I was thinking about you and I was praying for you. And I was just, I was thankful that there are people in Ohio who love each other. And the way that this love is built is when you have needs and we get to meet them. And when I have a need and you get to meet them. And the way that we build love and trust with God is when we have a need and we go to God and we say, God, I need this. And then God shows up with what we need. It makes us love him. 
and trust Him. Because God is present. He's really there. If it just happened automatically, you know, we never had to ask and God wasn't connected to it at all, we, well, someone could say, well, you know, that just happened. But there's something about praying and asking God and pleading and all of a sudden, you open the front door and the Amazon delivery man has in the hand the thing that you just asked for. By doing this for us again and again, we build a bond of trust with the God of heaven. He invites us to ask him and to just to see if he's listening. There's no end to the stories in my life of the prayers and so many people that I know of people that were praying and then God answered their prayer. I can tell you right now, it's what makes me feel close to God. I've been in the situation where I could not, just like the psalmist in our call to worship, he said, my enemies were stronger than me. Well, if his enemies were stronger than him, he would have just beat them. But because he wasn't strong as his enemies, what did he need to do, Sister Joy? He needed to call on God. And in the end, what does he say? He's saying the same thing in Psalm 18. I love the Lord. Why? He goes, because I prayed. And because he heard my prayer. And because he saved my life. And because fire came out and clouds and lightning and hail. And God destroyed my enemies. Because I love God because of this. What? Because I pray and he hears my prayer and he does stuff. Do you know God loves you? And a lot of times we don't have stuff. Because we don't ask the God of heaven for it. He wants you to ask. There must be something very broken in us about this in the same way that we act like we're not going to die when trouble comes we forget everybody say we forget when fear comes we forget say we forget we forget at many other times just like this God came to our aid and turned things around my own kids have to remind me of this I, I'll get you know worked up about something and my children will go dad what is wrong with you? And I'll be like, but, but, uh, uh, they're like, Dad, what happened the last time this happened? Oh, yeah, that's right. What happened the time before that? Oh, yeah, that's, that, that is right. That is, that is what happened. Dad, what happened the time before that? Oh, yeah, you're right. And I'm like, duh. But what do we do? What do we do? We forget. Right? Everybody say, we forget. So what God does is God keeps it up. You might go, so you're telling me God brings me over, puts me by a semi-truck, I almost get run over by the truck, just so he can save me. I don't know. I think we're so messed up, and we're so broken, and we're so in, in a stupor of our own insanity but I think that God has to keep reminding us, do you know I'm real? And do you know that I'm here? And do you know that I answer your prayers? And do you know I care about you? And do you know I care about whether you live or die? I care about your whole life. I care about your death. You are precious to me in life and in death. I love you. Because we don't think about that. We don't remember that. We forget that just like we forget we're going to die. It seems we need to have troubles if only to call on God to have him save us, to remind us that he's really there and he's listening. Let this psalm serve as a reminder today of what we so easily forget. In fact, 
This is why the psalm was written. We need to write new songs about God's deliverance and we need to sing them. This is time spent in a worthy and transformative way. This guy's writing the psalm down because what would he do? He'll forget. You know, God has answered so many prayers of mine, I forget. Have you ever heard the thing? I've known more things and I've forgotten more things than you'll ever know. You ever hear like someone say that? I've forgotten more stuff than you ever know. Well, I'll tell you what. I've forgotten more answered prayers than most people have ever prayed. God has done over and over and over and over. And when I read the story of Jesus where it said, and many more things were done by Jesus when he was on this earth, and if they were all written down, the volumes could not contain them, I'll tell you right now, God answers prayer. And we should be a praying people as a result of it because that makes sense. Could you imagine if there was an ATM out there that, all you had to do is just go put your card in it and money came out every, every time. But you forgot that, you, that, that it was and you found yourself in a horrible situation and finally, don't you know you've got this card and, and there's, it doesn't even cost anything. There's unlimited money there. All you got to do is put your card in there. You're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Could you imagine having such a thing? So is God our ATM machine with endless amounts of money? No, but he's better than that. Take the time to remember. Tell your children your stories. Repeat the stories of others and build their faith. When someone tells me a great story about what God did for them, you know what I do? I am eager to meet somebody that, and I, and I tell them the story. I tell, I'm, like, I'm like, well, you got to hear this. This is amazing. That's why I love Stories, what do they do? Stories remind us and they build our faith. Tell others what we saw. In the next verse, we see that this is what the psalmist was all about when he wrote 116, verse, uh, verse 3. He says, The sorrows of death can pass me, the pains of hell. And when, we, when you hear hell, don't think of fire, brimstone, eternal damnation. Think of the grave, because that's what he's talking about here. Sheol, the grave. The pains of hell got hold upon me, and I found trouble and sorrow. So what's he doing? He's kind of walking through what happened to him, right? Doesn't this kind of sound like uh, a lot of things that you've been through? You know what? There was sorrow and death, and it, it kind of like surrounded me, and and I was like hurting in my heart and it got a hold of me and it, it seemed hopeless and it seemed like I wasn't going to live through it and I wasn't going to make it. And uh, in that time, I found trouble and I found sorrow. I mean, this is what's going on. He's recounting. He's telling the story. This is the part that we don't want to remember. I, I have a mechanism in my mind of when bad things happen to me, I forget them. And the psalmist is going, no, we should, let's, let's go ahead and write this down. All this bad, horrible, terrible, near death, totally overwhelming stuff happened. You know what I want to do, Amy? I want to be like, uh, I don't remember that. But if you're going to remember what God did for you, you got to remember what he saved you from, right? We don't even like to remember it. We don't like to think of it. Why? Because we want to pretend it ain't ever going to happen again. Because we live in this insane denial of the life that we're actually living in. The sorrows of death can pass me. The pains of hell got a hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. 
This man's near-death experience was not short and sudden. It was protracted. It took some time. There's nothing like the horrible things that we go through that last a long time. It lasts weeks. It lasted months. It lasted years. And I hurt through the whole thing and it was terrible and I felt abandoned and I felt alone and it was terrible and I didn't think I was going to live through it and I didn't know if I was going to be able to serve God anymore and I didn't know what was going on in my life and he's like, he's kind of living this out. Do you think he's enjoying this? No, he's not enjoying it but sometimes we need to remember what we suffered through to remember the God who brought us out. Amen? He became so convinced of his doom and whatever he was going through that he began to grieve over himself and was covered in pain. He was gripped in death's certain grasp of the grave. I can tell you what, I've been through things and in the midst of them, I thought, this is it. It's over. I'm done. I'll never do anything good again. I'll, I'll never get to be this again. I'll never, I remember a time in my life, I'll never be married. I'll never have children. I'll never get to be in the ministry. I wanted to be in the ministry as a kid. Oh, I just, I'll never get to do that again. I remember those days, those fatalistic words, those, those, those depressing, I can't, this is nothing good's ever going to happen days of my life. Trouble and sorrow, what a combination. They seem to come in pairs. It's like he was dying even before he died. And that's what real trouble is like. You're dying before you're even dying. It's like the worry that comes upon us when certain we are certain that something is going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet, right? Think of it this way. There's a 600-pound tiger, and he's in your house, and he's roaring, and he's walking around in your house, and you're like, <laughs> and you're just imagining being eaten alive by the tiger, you're dying before you're dying. They announce layoffs are coming and next thing you know, you're living in your mind, you're living under a bridge and, and you're having to go to the food pantry and, and your children are wait, they're, they're going to be homeless and, and you know what I'm saying? This is what we do. Oh, the world this is so, it's going to be so horrible. And, and so we die before we die. We suffer even before the actual suffering comes. Jesus warned us not to spend our time this way because the trouble may not even come. And if it does come, all we've done is waste our last bit of time. Imagine it. Let's say you're going to die tomorrow and all you do today is worry about how terrible it's going to be when you die tomorrow. What have you just done with today? You're alive today. You got today to enjoy. You got today to love people. You got today to cherish what you've got. No, no, no. Now you've lost this day and tomorrow too. So what did this man do in the midst of all that? He prayed. Everybody say he prayed. So the question is, what do you do when you're heavy with sorrow of the seemingly inevitable? You know, my wife got diagnosed with something and basically they told her it was the end. About a month later, oh yeah, we got that wrong. That was nice. Thank you. Appreciate that. But you know what? You know what it was like though, for real? I started cherishing my wife. I started loving my wife. I started being less petty with my wife. She can't even remember when it was, right? 
you know, if I'm going to lose my wife, I should just love her and be sweet and just be thankful. And when I say that's what you should do, I'm not trying to correct you for who can even be corrected in moments like this. You can't, you're like insensible, right? Other people have had it just as bad as you, Sister Jackie. You know, they, you know, and you're like, oh, that's not helpful. I'm going through it right now. And I don't really care what they went through. This is hard for me, right? So I'm not trying to correct anybody through this. I'm inviting you to do something different, something that makes a difference rather than lose the moments that you have. Pray. Everybody say pray. As the scripture says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on God and see what he does. If you do and he saves you, you can rejoice what? In the answer prayer. You'll have a great story to tell. Verse 4. So what did he do? He prayed. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. I think this psalm is so funny. I almost died and I was dying and I thought I was going to die. And I was dying before I was dying and I was just eat up with it and the emotion of it was killing me. So what did I do? I prayed and I said, oh Lord, please save me. Like, it, this is pretty elementary, but what he did, you know, sometimes we need this. We need one plus one to equal two before we can get into geometry and trigonometry and calculus, right? He's like, okay, I think I'm going to die. You know what I'm going to do? I think I'm going to pray. And what am I going to pray? Anything complicating? Okay, God, I think I'm going to die. Save me from dying. Not that complicated, not that hard of a prayer. He prayed specifically for God to save him from death. And so the application is here, is pray for what you need. Speak directly to your desire. When you're about to die, it's pretty easy. Lord, I don't want to die. Please save me, Lord, from dying. And that's our prayer. Jesus, John, and James, just to name a few, told us that we can expect God to give us what we ask for as long as we're asking for what is right. And not to expect to have anything we don't believe we're going to get. Do you ever pray like this about what you need? Or do you just worry about it and talk to others about it and fret about it and offer prayer requests for it? Verse 5, gracious is the Lord and righteous, yea, our God is merciful. You see, to build his own faith in the moment he was living through, and for those who are listening to the song now throughout the ages, the psalmist begins declaring what he believes about God. Everybody say, God is gracious. God is righteous. God is merciful. And that's what he needed to do. Sometimes in the midst of our trouble, we need to be reminded of God, who he really is. Your own heart might have reasons for believing that God does not want to give you what you're asking for. But God is greater than your heart, John tells us. He loves us like we love our children. Could you imagine if your child was in desperate need? They're holding on with one hand. They're dangling over a precipice of destruction, calling out to you. Would you take into account that they hadn't cleaned their room? You know, they didn't do the dishes last night. And you know, in fact, they didn't do them three weeks in a row. And uh, they were mean to their little brother. And would you, would you keep your hand next to you while they were screaming and yelling and calling out for you to save them and consider all of those things? Hmm. I don't know if I'm going to reach my hand out or not. 
Is that how you treat your kids? Why do you think God would treat you like that? Because here's what we do. We go, well, you know what? I got myself in this trouble and, and uh, you know, I deserve this. And, and, and so what do we do? We do that so that the devil does this to us, Jonathan, so that we don't pray. So that we don't go, Lord, I need your help and I need your help now. The devil goes, he ain't coming. Why are you even praying for it? Don't even, don't, don't bother him. You deserve this. You got yourself in this mess. Now get yourself out. Of course you don't treat your children like this and neither does God. You're gracious. You're righteous and merciful to your children and you will help them whether or not they deserve it. Whether or not they found themselves in a bad financial situation because they were morons, you're still not going to go, well, it looks like you're just going to have to lose your home and you're going to be homeless and, and, and you know what? You're going to reap what you sow and that'll teach you. I really hope you don't ever treat your kids like that. God didn't treat you like that. In times of prayer, our enemy wants us to believe that God's not going to help us, that we don't deserve the help he knows that we've gotten ourselves into. This is what he does to steal our faith from us. He comes to us and he picks the seeds of faith that we grow and he devours them when we forget who God is and why he does what he does. He doesn't do what he does in your life because you're so great. He does what he does in your life because he loves you. And he's gracious and he's merciful and he's kind. Can I get an amen? The Lord preserves the simple. That's what verse 6 is about. What does that mean in, in, in layman, modern day 2022 language? God even helps stupid people. He helps us when we've been so stupid. Why did we do that? Why did I pick the rattlesnake up and put it around my neck? Isn't that pretty? The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low. And he helped me. Verse 6, he goes further. Let me tell you something else about God. God saves the simple. He saves the stupid. He saves you because you're just about as dumb as they come. Have you ever been stupid? Have you ever done what no smart person would ever do if you gave it serious thought? Of course you have. And when your stupidity has you wrapped up and pulled under, don't listen to the devil's lies. That your ignorance or your simple-mindedness has earned you the right not to be helped by God and so you don't ask God. You need to remind yourself of those times. You know, God helps the stupid. This should be hopeful for all of us. <laughs> this should be hopeful. We should be like... And I feel like this, Tim. I feel like it's like, okay, I did it again. Lord, you taught me not to do that, but I did it again. And you know what? I deserve it. And wait, oh, wait a minute. God helps the simple. He helps us stupid people who keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. There's hope for me. There's hope for you out there. Maybe you can brand your own self stupid. I was brought low. And he helped me even though it was all my fault. God is like that. And don't forget it, people. Verse 7. Return to thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with me. He's recalling what God did before in his life to remind him what God is going to do in his future. A near-death experience is filled with adrenaline. If you want to know the chemistry behind it. The adrenaline of the situation was a powerful 
body-made drug that is very useful. It helps you run faster, jump higher, react faster, but it also amps up our emotions to the next level, and we don't think right. Here the psalmist is calming himself down. When these kind of events happen in our lives, we sometimes feel like we're still living through them, and that's what adrenaline can do. Adrenaline just keeps rushing, and, you know, the fire's put out, and you're standing on the side, and you're like... <gasps> And your, 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 your eyes are bugged out and you're, you're, you're still, your body still thinks there's still a fire, but the fire is out. That's what PTSD is for those of you that don't understand it. it. Your body is stuck. It believes you're still in the middle of the event. Calm down. This is what the psalmist is saying here. Return unto thy rest, O my soul. God has answered my prayer and it's all over now. Sometimes this is an important part of making it through something completely. It's like kind of a cool down after a good run, right? We run and we run. And so what do you do? You, you, you plan in there to have a, a cool down, a little walk down, a little get back to normal. Because if you ran full blast and you're sweating and you walk in the front door, you're like, you know. We can't just move on like nothing happened. It's not healthy or wise to do this. When we go through very difficult times, we need a cool down period where we remind ourselves what God has done. He saved us. He was gracious and kind to us. He's righteous. He's working out all things for our good and for a greater purpose. He used this, this very thing, even my stupidity, my, my near-death experience. It was probably my fault that I brought on. He, he didn't just uh, save me from it. He used it to help me. It helped me to draw near to him and it helped me to draw near to the people that I love. It helped me to stop the destructive habits that I keep doing. God is working in the saving and then in the teaching that comes afterwards. We're living through, as a church right now, guys, you may not know, we're living through a cool down. We need to rest. The event is over. We need to remember that God has dealt with us bountifully because he is a bountiful God. God who never stops working for our good and for his glory. Even our most extreme close calls with death are part of God's plan. Why? Because that's just what we needed. Verse 8, For thou hast delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. The psalmist continues his life after cool down. He acknowledges God's part in it all. One of the unhealthy ways of living is to just forget what happens to us and move on as quickly as we can as if nothing happened. Isn't that what we kind of want to do? Let's just block it. It never happened. Let's just move on. Nothing, nothing happened here. Nothing to see here. Move on. We're good. We're good. I'm good. You're good? We're good. We're good, right? We're good. Yeah, let's just, let's go. Let's go. Come on. Let's, let's do something great. Woo! Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding in all thy ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. In all of our ways, even when we act, once we survive, what we thought in the moment was unsurvivable, we are to take time to acknowledge God. It's part of a healthy life. And it's how God directs our steps 
and where we need to go next. We can't just react to the pain or even the euphoria of thankfulness by going skydiving or Rocky Mountain climbing or lasting 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. Right? That's what that country song's about, right? He's like, he's like, I got the, I got the bad news. He goes, so what did I do? I went skydiving. Come on, you know the song, right? What's funny is I was telling the deacons about my sermon, and Tim goes, I can't think about anything but going skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing. I go, are you serious? I go, that's going to be right in the sermon. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. What's he talking about? That country song is talking about what we do. You're like, hey, you know what? This is what I, but that can't be all. Okay? We need to acknowledge God's hand in all of it and seek Him in what comes next in our lives. We acknowledge Him in prayer and to others. For Thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. You see, when we move on too fast and we don't take time to see God's part in it all, our feet too can slide and we'll find ourselves right back where we started instead of taking the important two steps higher up and deeper in. Verse 9, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. We need to say this, I've been bought with a price. My life is not my own, say that. I will walk before the Lord, say that. See, God's given us another day. And instead of just forgetting what we went through, we need to remember it. And we need to remember how God was dealing with us in it and what it was for. This is, this is what happens in Scripture. We don't always understand it when we're in it. But when God brings us out of it, it's important to do these things. With the heart man believes, but with the mouth he confesses. That's why I had you say those things. I wanted you to confess it, okay? I've been bought with a price. My life is not my own. I'm going to walk before the Lord because he's given me another day. This is what our confession needs to be. With the heart man believes, but with the mouth he confesses. Our confession is critical. Sometimes we just need to say what we're going to do. You ever do this? If you've ever been through anything rough, that's what you got to do. I remember sometimes in the last year, I'd say to myself, I'd say, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm getting up, and I'm going to open up my Bible, and I'm going to write another sermon, and I'm going to preach another sermon, and I'm going to live my life, and I'm going to serve for God, and I'm not going to be bitter, and I'm not going to be angry, and I'm going to do what he calls me to do, and if he kills me, I'm still going to do it up to the day he kills me. You might go, what is that? That's a confession. Because... Because you know what's happening inside? Inside you're going, you know, you should quit. You know what? You deserve this. You know what? You're a failure. You know what? This is going to fall apart. Do you know what? Everything you did doesn't matter to anything. You see, that's the devil and he's a liar. Because you know what he's praying and hoping for? If the devil prays, you know what he prays for? He prays that you'll quit. That you won't pray. That you'll stop fighting him. That's what he's praying for. His prayers aren't answered by God. Sometimes we just need to say what we're going to do. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Sometimes we need to confess them to ourselves, to one another. And most of all, we need to confess it to God in prayer. 
Because when I tell God I'm going to do something, I can tell you right now, I do it. Because I know you, you people, I may not remember, you may not remember what I said to you. I'll tell my kids I'm going to whip them tomorrow. I may forget that. But if I tell God I'm going to do something, I can tell you what, I remember it. Because I don't tell God I'm going to do stuff I don't do. I'm going to get up. I'm going to serve you, Lord. If you've given me another opportunity, another day, that I'm going to live it for you. That's what the psalmist is saying here. I love what comes next. And once again, where, where's Benaiah? Where's he at? Huh? Benaiah, you, you ready to make another t-shirt for us? I love it. Verse 10, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Can you imagine having a t-shirt and they're like, where'd you speak? I'm going to live for God. That's what? I believe, therefore I have spoken. You want to know, what did I say? I'm going to live for God. I'm going to get up. I'm going to give him my life. I'm going to give him nine tomorrow. And as long as I live, I'm going I'm to praise God. Like David said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. This is a confession that comes from a heart that says, oh God, I am yours. I belong to you. I'm not going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going, you see what I'm saying? Sometimes we got to talk to ourselves. I believe, therefore, I have spoken. He says, I was greatly afflicted. You know, sometimes we just got to admit it. Like, man, this about killed me. And I'll tell you what, there's some things that just about killed me. And so he gets into it more. He gets into what about killed him. He said, I said in my haste, all men are liars. I mean, if you read this psalm and you're not paying attention, it'll be like, I don't even know what this guy's talking about. I can tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about what goes on inside of our hearts when we're in trouble, when bad things are happening. This protracted event, whether it, maybe it was a siege and a, an army is surrounding a town and he thinks he's going to die and they're outside going, oh yeah, when we get in those walls, we're going to cut your fingers off and your toes off and we're going to kill you and we're going to destroy your kingdom. We're going to steal everything of God's and he's in there going, oh God, oh God, you got to save me. Oh God, you got to save me. And people are like leaving the city and they're like, yeah, good luck with that. I hope it works out for you. You know, uh, we've really, you know, it's been great knowing you as king, but you know what I'm saying? It looks like your time is up. And he's like, these bunch of scumbags, I can't believe these people. They didn't stand for me. They wouldn't fight for me. They were a bunch of lazy sissies. What in the world's going on? All men are liars. And he's all emotional about it. Do you know when we get through these situations that last a long time, that almost like destroy our whole life, you know what we can do? We can, we can go bad. I said in my haste, all men are liars. I was overcome in my emotions. I reacted. I lost faith in everyone. Isn't that what we do? We can recoil in the moment and in the aftermath. No one stood up for me. No one cares about me. I felt so alone. That's it. I'm never doing this. I'm never doing that. I'm never helping anyone else. I'm never making any more friends. I've said that recently. That's it. I'm not making any more friends. No one's going to hurt me like that ever again. You know how I know? Because I'm not talking to anybody else ever again. That's it. I said in my haste, all men are liars. That's what's going on in the psalm here. He's saying this is what we go through. It's like, it's like the stages of grief. These are not the stages of grief. This is the same of, of near-death experiences. This is what happens when something almost kills you. That's it. That's it. That's it. 
No one's going to hurt me like that. I'm never going to let anyone that deep into my life again. That's the answer. Let's quit reaching out. Let's quit trying to help lost people. They don't appreciate it anyway. Guys, we're nuts. It's a carnal reaction and where we can go further wrong rather than make the gains that God obviously brought the event into our lives to make us better. In our own haste, we can make the trouble all about those that hurt us. This is where bitterness comes from. We can make it all about our enemies, but it's not about them. It's about God and what he's doing in our lives. It's not about them. You know, every now and then I'll be preaching a psalm and I'll... I'll, I'll I'll get a title, and the title will have to do with them because they come up in the, in the psalm, right? My enemies are terrible, and they tried to kill me, and they were no good. And I like, every now and then I'll get a title, and I'm like, no, 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 no. This psalm ain't about them. This psalm is about God. Every psalm is about Him. Who are we precious to? To him. You see, that's what I try to do with these psalms. What are they saying to us? And what they're not saying is, near-death experiences are rough. No. No. They're saying that we are precious in life and in death to God. We can get stuck. It's how we endure it all. And we, we, the only way we can come out better on the other side is not, not to be stuck here angry at those people that tried to hurt us. Remember Joseph's story? It's the greatest story of the Bible for this. Besides, of course, the greatest story in the Bible. Betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, unjustly cast into prison. Not one year, not two years, not ten years, thirteen years, fourteen years. But where does he come? Where does he come? Hey, how is he able to forgive? He, oh, what you meant for evil for me. God. God meant it for good. This is how he's able to forgive. But not understanding it was all part of God's plan causes us to be angry at people. But the Bible says this, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. It doesn't matter what people do to us. In fact, Jesus says that. I'm going to read that here before the end of today. God is at work. Our battle is not with any man or woman. It is with spiritual powers that want so desperately to distract you from what's really going on, that wants you to become bitter and angry and believe that God is not at work in your life. Folks, that lie should not be listened to. Verse 12, he says this. He's, so God has saved him. And he realized that he's acted like an idiot through the whole thing. And he gets to verse 12 and he said, So what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? God was good to me when I was stupid. He saved me when I shouldn't have been saved. He loves me even when I don't deserve to be loved. And so verse 12 is a question we should all be asking ourselves today. So what should I give the Lord for all he's done for me? What indeed are we going to do now that we understand God was at work? What are you and I going to do when we realize what others meant for evil toward us was God working in us for our good and for the good of others? What are we going to do today after coming face to face 
with this truth. Well, I'll tell you what the psalmist did. Verse 13, I will take up the cup of salvation and I will call upon the name of the Lord. He said, this event has turned me into a person who prays. You might go, well, is that all it did? Well, (laughs) God is on the throne and prayer still changes things. I will take up the cup of salvation. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will accept what God has done for me by faith and I will live a life of prayer. I will grow in trust toward God and shun the doubt that creeps into my life that tries to tell me that I'm alone, that no one cares for me, that not even God cares for me and that no one is with me in my suffering. God will never leave us or forsake us. And let's see what the psalmist is going to do now that he has come to this great truth. Verse 14, I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Everybody say, do my duty. I'm not going anywhere to hide. I'm not going to become a bitter or skeptical person. I'm not... I'm going to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be more gracious, more merciful, and I will humble myself under the mighty hand of God, knowing that He is at work in all things concerning me. So the question is, so what is my life worth to God? You know, we talk a lot about self-esteem. We talk, but we should be talking about God-esteem instead. What He thinks about us is far more important than what we think of ourselves. And that's where we come to verse 15. Precious. Everybody say precious. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious means rare and valuable. That's why I had them read from the book of 2 Samuel today about the water that the mighty men got for him from the well. Because that was precious. He says, this is water, not the blood of these men. It was precious. And of course, God finds us much more precious than the waters that David poured out that day. The idea being here that precious, it's, it is not what meant, you know how people quote this during funerals, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And, and you know, sometimes they'll say stuff, they'll be like, you know, God needed one more beautiful flower for the bouquet of heaven. And so he plucked sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so and now they're there. And God is admiring their beautifulness. Oh, heaven needed one more singer in the choir with the angels. And so God took them because they had such a beautiful singing voice. Oh, God loves it when he gets to spend time with the saints and he takes them from us. Really? That's not what that's talking about. The subtle idea here (laughs) is much more powerful. You miss it. In the King James language here, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And what God is saying is what my sermon title is. We are precious to God in life and in death. Do you know that God not only uses our life, you know how the Bible says we're to offer ourselves up as what? Living sacrifices to God. But also we're going to die one day too. And when we do, what's it going to mean? And the Bible teaches us that we are precious to God in the life that we live and we're precious in the death that we offer him how are you going to die are you going to die a bitter person are you going to die an angry person are you going to die someone who loved and forgave and kept working and did your duty even when it was difficult 
Are you going to be someone that go, wow, they were precious to God. Precious means rare or valuable. The idea being conveyed here is that God doesn't look forward to our deaths, but that he is like with anticipation, like he likes them. That's not what it means. It means that God uses them like something very, very valuable. We can clearly see, oh boy. Clearly see it here. Let me. I accidentally touched the wrong thing and it took me completely out of my sermon into a whole other page. I'm sorry. We can clearly see in context that this is what it's mean. And Matthew chapter 10 and Luke 12 records the words of Jesus. He says, Fear not them, therefore. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed or hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, that preach on the housetops. Fear not them which can kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which has the able to destroy both the body and the soul in hell. And he asks this question. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are more valuable. You are more precious than many sparrows. God is at work in your life and even has a plan for your death. God will make the most out of all of each of us, each one of us in our lives. Our deaths will count. Precious in the sight of the Lord are the lives and the deaths of the saints. And a question to ask is what purpose will your life serve and what purpose will your death serve? We talk about giving our lives to God, but we'll also have our deaths to offer Him as well. As you get older, now I'm so much older, I'm 54. Some here can testify that you think much more about your death than when you were younger. You wonder if you will go before your wife goes or after. You'll wonder what the state of things around you will be when it happens and who will fill the place that you now occupy in the kingdom. At least I think about these things quite a lot. I honestly feel like I'm going to live to be 100 years old, but we're not guaranteed that we'll even get one more day. We should live the days that we have using them like precious gifts, for that is what they are, and we should look forward to how God will use even the end of our lives to advance His grand purposes. He is saving the world, and He's doing that through you and me. That doesn't mean our part is the most critical part or the most prominent part, but it is still going to be part of the grand narrative being told by God in the lives and the deaths of his saints. In verse 16, it says, O Lord, truly, I am thy servant. I am thy servant, the son of thy handmaiden, and thou hast loosed my bonds. He repeats a statement twice. I am thy servant. I am thy servant. He begins it with, O Lord, truly. There is passion being expressed here. He's crying out to God, this is what I am above all else. I'm your servant, Lord. In this doxology of praise filled with deep love and emotion for God, he now sees before him the one who finds him precious in life and in death, the one who is at work orchestrating all for his good and for the good of others. He sings out, O Lord, truly, I am thy servant. I am thy servant, the son of thy handmaiden. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I am yours, Lord. 
everything I've got, everything I'm not. I'm yours, Lord. As the song says, truly I'm yours for, and I am the son of one of yours and you have freed me from any other idea other than that. I will offer to thee, verse 17, sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We must call upon the name of the Lord. We must more and more become men and women of prayer. We must do our duty to God no matter the circumstance. We cannot do it in a corner. We are part of a greater body. If you see in that verse and in the coming verse, he says, I'm going to do this in the presence of the congregation. I'm going to do it with the people of God. Don't withdraw. Don't find yourself wanting to just be more and more about you and your family. No, we want to withdraw because we're hurting. And God says, no, just, just, just get it out there. Just be in the church. We are a part of the greater body of Christ, the church, the holy nation that is the kingdom of God. We need one another, and it is in this body, in Christ, that we find meaning. I will, verse 18, I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. And I'm telling you, this near-death experience could have caused him to want to not be around others, to not want to be with others, to not be a part of each other's lives, and he would have missed out on a lot. We give God a lot, but we are not islands. We're, we are one nation under God, indivisible, singing forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And as another song says, my wife keeps smiling, we are the people of God, called by his name, called from the dark and delivered from shame. One holy race, saints everyone, because of the blood of Christ, Jesus the Son. Verse 19, in the courts of the Lord's house in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. Can we say that? Praise ye the Lord. Christ, our example, taught us how we are precious in life and in death. He lived his years as a man giving all he had to give. In the end, not only was his life precious, but it was his death that was precious too. For scarcely will a man die for a righteous man, pre-adventure a sinner. And that is what Jesus did for us. The rare gift of Christ's death provides passage from this world of darkness and shame and brings us and transforms us into that very light that he was, precious in life and in death. Christ's life was precious, but his death was even more so. And may we give our lives and give our deaths to God. Amen, amen, and amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for Psalm 116, for the reminder of what is important, for the reminder of what is petty, for the reminder of what suffering does to us and, and how we can react wrongly, Lord, but how we should react with duty and thankfulness and inclusiveness and bringing people, more people into our lives and giving thanks together. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray your time with us was very encouraging. If it was, consider sending us a note and also consider partnering with us.